Mark 16, 1 through 7. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being a victorious Savior. You weren't just a sacrificed Savior. You were also a victorious one. Thank you so much. Thank you for the cross, but thank you even even more for the empty tomb. Thank you, Jesus, for being everything you said you were. Thank you for doing and accomplishing everything you said that you would. We can hear the same wonderful, beautiful, powerful announcement that Mary and Salome and the others heard that you were not in the grave, that you are alive and risen just as you said you would be. And that same awesome reality can be our reality as well. It's available to us here and now, today, and every day. Thank you for your resurrection. And as we sang, because you rose in you, through you, by you, we too can rise. Thank you for all you are, for all you've done, for all you're going to do. And it's in your great name that I pray. Amen. At the end of the message last week, uh, I said that what happened on Friday, as great as it was, as important as it was, as necessary as all the events of the cross on Good Friday were, that it really wouldn't matter much if it wasn't for Sunday, if it wasn't for Resurrection Sunday. In other words, all that Christ accomplished on the cross wouldn't be able to change our eternity if His resurrection wasn't a reality. And because His resurrection was and is a reality, our whole eternity is able to be changed. That's what we celebrate today. The fact that eternity itself has been altered 
because of the resurrection. I hope that that's what every one of you can say. I hope that each one of you can say with absolute assurance, yes, my, my whole eternity has been turned upside down. My whole eternity has been changed because of what happened on Easter morning. I hope you can say that. If you can't say that, then I believe with all my heart the reason you're here today is so that you can, so that you will be able to say that before you leave this place. But as I said, all that Christ accomplished on the cross, as amazing as all that was, it wouldn't have been able to change our eternity if it weren't for the resurrection, if that wasn't a reality. And Scripture points to that. That's not just my theory. That's not just my opinion. Romans 4.25 tells us this. He, speaking of Jesus, He was delivered up for our trespasses. That speaks of, of the cross. That's the crucifixion. He was delivered up on the cross, crucified, for our trespasses, for our sins. And He was raised for our justification. Justification means that we were made right with God. We were restored to right relationship with Him. We were put into right standing with Him. And see, it was the resurrection that made that possible. The cross took care of our sins. The cross was where Jesus paid the price for our sins that had to be paid before a holy and righteous God. But if that's where the story ended then our story would end there too. But because it didn't, because of the resurrection, that, that it ushered in and made our justification, our, our being declared as right before God, as accepted by Him, that made it a reality for us. See, what that means for us, for all of us, is that the door to salvation hinges on the cross and the resurrection. The door to salvation hinges on the cross and the resurrection. And we've got to emphasize the resurrection. Because what we so easily do as Christians is we focus all on the cross. And, and our focus should be on the cross, absolutely. But our focus needs to extend beyond the cross, Christian, because if it were just the cross, if the resurrection didn't happen, if what we commemorate was a crucified, sacrificed Savior and that's it, then our justification before God, our being declared right before Him forever, would not be a sure thing. And we would not be able to worship a living Savior. That's what we do today. That's what we do. Um, probably this morning, many children uh, in your household and others had this. They, they woke up and found, you know, this, uh, uh, something like this, a basket full of these plastic eggs and other things, right? Yesterday, uh, we had thousands of these things, literally, all over the, the playground across the road. And kids were running back and forth with their baskets. And because we had so many, and we had so many more eggs than we had kids, there were like three and four and five trips. Like they were running back, and more were being fill, filled up, and more were, were being filled up. And, and that, was, that was what happened, and it's what happens every Easter. And probably half of your kids have passed out by now, they're in sugar coma, and some of you adults too, you know who you are. But yeah, this is, this is a part of the, the scene right now, right? Basket full of eggs. And you've probably heard the saying, 
don't put all your eggs into one basket, right? Don't put all your hopes in any one person or any one thing because you're going to be disappointed. But I'm here to tell you this morning that as Christians, it is absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial that we put all the eggs of our life and our faith into one basket. And that's the basket of the resurrection, church. We've got to put everything that we are into that one absolute reality, the reality of the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put all your eggs in that basket. Everything, everything about what it means to be a Christian rests on Christ's resurrection. That's what defines your entire identity as a follower of Christ. Everything that it means to be a Christian rests on Christ's resurrection. All of Christianity comes back to that. All of it. And again, don't just take my word for it. Take the word for it. 1 Corinthians 15, 13-22. I want to just draw your attention to that passage, invite you to look at that with me uh, in whatever form you have there with you. 1 Corinthians 15, 13-22. And the Apostle Paul writes this, and he starts off this passage with a really interesting and striking hypothetical question and scenario. And it's because so many people around him, so many people uh, in the culture and looking in on the church were being critical of the message of the resurrection of Christ. And they were skeptical of it. You know what it is to be skeptical, and you know what it is to be around people that are skeptical. I mean, that defines our whole culture on everything, you know? Everybody seems to be cynical and jaded and skeptical of everything. Well, that's not new. That happened all the time. And as it relates to the claims of the Apostle Paul and others, the early church that said, we proclaim a risen and reigning Savior, people said, oh, yeah, right, come on, whatever. That didn't happen. And they tried to disprove and discredit it. So Paul wrote this in response. If there is no resurrection of the dead, because that's what they said, there's no resurrection for anybody. There's no such thing as a resurrection. You die, you die, that's it. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. It's empty. It's useless. It's meaningless. Our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation about Him, Paul says, is in vain. It's empty. And so is your faith in Him. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified wrongly about God that He raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And here's where it gets really important in this hypothetical situation. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless you are still in your sins. 
And that's a very scary contrast, a very scary thought, if it were true, compared to what Romans 8.1 clearly says, which is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Paul clearly says in Romans 8.1, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation over your life. There's no judgment on you in terms of, of being seen by God as guilty of all your sin and under His judgment and wrath. Why? Because all of His judgment and all of His wrath on your sins and mine were put on Christ at the cross. We talked about that throughout this series that we've, we're finishing up today. But if the cross was the end of that story, if the cross is where it ended, and Jesus didn't die and then rise, then what Paul says here in this scenario is absolutely right. That we're still in our sins. That the cross wasn't actually enough to completely take care of our sins. That the cross wasn't powerful enough to pay the full price for all of our sin debt. If the cross was where it stopped, then that means it wasn't enough for God to accept His work on our behalf. Verse 18 continues this scenario. Hypothetically speaking, those then, Paul says, who have fallen asleep in Christ, in other words, they have died as a believer in Christ. They've, they've died believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're trusting in Him for their salvation and for their eternity. And you all have people in your life that that's true of. You all have loved ones who've gone on ahead of you. They've died, they've closed their eyes in this life, and they closed their eyes in this life believing in a resurrected Savior. They died in this life having lived their whole life for their Savior, the Lord Jesus. You've all got people in your life that that's true of. What Paul says about this concept, that if there's no resurrection of the dead, that means that even Christ didn't rise from the dead, and if He didn't rise from the dead, verse 18, those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And that means eternally died. In other words, the joke would be on them. And it would be a really twisted, sad, dark joke. They would all have been deceived. They would have all lived their whole life for a Savior who they believed rose from the dead to give them eternal life when He didn't actually do it. And so they died believing something that was a lie. You see what Paul's doing here? This is the gravity of what's at stake if there's no such thing as a resurrection. This, this is how tragic it would be to actually put all your eggs in one basket and all your hope all your belief, all your life in something called the resurrection if that didn't really happen. Because that means there would be no reality beyond the grave. There'd be no hope for life after death. The joke would be on all of our believing loved ones that died. Verse 19, he makes it personal. He says this, If we, speaking of, of Christians... If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, 
If, if our hope in Christ does not extend beyond just the here and the now, this life, we should be pitied more than anyone. We should be pitied more than anyone if there's not hope that goes beyond this life. If we have all put our hope in, in Jesus as our Savior, and it's only good as long as this life lasts and there's nothing else, then wow, how, how pitiful we truly are. How pathetic our belief. How empty our faith, right? What a terrible scenario that is. I mean, wouldn't that be an awful situation? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a horrible, horrific reality to know? That's what Paul is getting at. That's his point. This would be no way at all of living. This is not how you would want to live your life. This is no faith to be part of. I wouldn't want a faith like that. I wouldn't want to live my life in that way. You know, living my life in, in, a, in a very specific way for someone who claimed to be alive after death and then it, to find out it didn't really happen. I mean, how miserable that would be. But here's the good news. We don't have to worry about that. That, that's not our situation. That's not reality. Here's what verse 20 says. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And I've got I've to pause here and talk about this phrase, the first fruits, here a little bit. The first fruits. Um, that was something that in the Old Testament, the uh, Jewish people would bring before God, they'd have their, you know, their crop, and they'd have all their produce, and they'd bring the first part of that to God as an offering, as a gift, and it would be uh, basically an act of faith saying, uh, God, we're trusting you. You've given us this first fruit of all of our, of our harvest. We're going to trust you to provide for the rest. We're giving the first of this to you, and we're going to be trusting that you're going to bless the rest. By the way, uh, that same concept, that principle, that kind of carries over, and that's really how we should view our modern-day tithing and our offering. It's the same concept. We should look at our tithing as first fruits. God, here's the, the first of my increase. Here's the first of what you've given me. I give it to you, and I'm trusting you to bless the rest. That's what the first fruit did. So um, the first fruits, it was uh, a guarantee and an assurance of the rest of the provision coming. And by Christ being the first fruits of all those who have who've died, He was the guarantee and the assurance that death was not going to be the final word. He was the guarantee that more was to come. There would be life after death. The other thing about this first fruits concept, uh, there was a specific feast. It was the Feast of First Fruits. And the Feast of First Fruits was on the day after Sabbath following Passover. The day after Sabbath following Passover. And that, my friends, is the exact day Jesus rose from the dead. The exact day. He rose from the dead on the exact time of the Feast of First Fruits. Right after Sabbath following Passover. And then the last thing I want to point out, point out to you about the First Fruits is... This phrase uh, in the, the first century when this was written, in the regular culture of that day, 
it literally meant entrance fee. When people talked about first fruits, it actually meant entrance fee into something. Admission fee, the price of admission. Think of um, getting into a concert that you want to go to. Think of going, getting into a museum or something. You pay an entrance fee, right? You pay an admission cost. And what that means for us, with Jesus being the first fruits here that Paul talks about, church, that means Jesus paid our entrance fee into the resurrection. So the resurrection that he stepped into, that he experienced first, he not only paid the price for your sins on the cross, not just paid the the price of your penalty, by him rising from the dead as the first fruits, he paid your admission fee into resurrection and into eternal life. That's what he did for you. That's the Savior you have. That's the Savior we're worshiping and honoring today and every day. That's why resurrection isn't just something to get out of the closet on Easter Sunday and then put back in the day after and keep there the rest of the year. Just like we say that Christmas time and, and the Christmas hope and the Christmas reality is supposed to be celebrated every day. You know, that's kind of cliche, right? But it's true. Same thing is true of Easter. It's meant to be embraced and experienced and celebrated and drawn hope from every single moment of every day of your life. Why? Paul tells us. He gives us reason. Verse 21, For since death came through a man, that's talking about Adam, death came through Adam because of his sin and was just passed on down and down through out humanity. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And I mean, that would be like capital M, because that's the God-man he's talking about, the God-man Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Verse 22, for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's the message of Easter. See, here's what it all comes down to. Here's here's why I said that the door to salvation hinges on the cross and the resurrection. It's what Paul is talking about here, and, and it's all through Scripture, and it's just the reality. It's this. The cross was payment for our rescue. The cross was payment for our rescue. It's the price that needed to be paid to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from death, to rescue us from all that separated us from God, all that stood in the way, the barrier that was between us and God because of sin. The cross was payment for our rescue. The resurrection was the receipt. The resurrection was the receipt. You know, it's just like at at any store. You, you go to the store, you buy what you need, you go to the cashier, you put down your stuff, they scan it all in, they give you a total, you pay for it, right? And what they hand you, now they ask you if you want one, you know, or not, but what they offer you is a receipt for your payment. That proves that your money was good, that it was accepted. You have the merchandise, you didn't steal it, you bought it, you paid for it, and the payment you gave 
was completely sufficient. It was totally accepted. There was power behind your payment, and it was accepted. You're with me? I mean, you know, you go to, you go to Sam's, and they stop you at the door, and they look at your receipt, and they mark it with that little marker, right? They want to know that you went through the right register, that your payment was checked out, it was looked at, it wasn't counterfeit, it was authentic, and you were, you were sent on your way. And they mark it because your payment was enough. That's exactly what the resurrection of our Savior was. It was a declaration for all of eternity that the payment on the cross was good, it was powerful, and it was enough forever. Because if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then the message would have been the complete opposite. It would have been as noble as that sacrifice was, as honorable as it was, as touching as it was, as loving as it was for Christ to offer himself for us, if it ended at the cross, if his life ended there, then the declaration would have been, sorry, not enough. Something else is still needed. But the fact that the grave could not hold him, that was a resounding statement, a proclamation over our enemy, Satan, over our sin, over death. It was the proclamation, payment good, payment in full, accepted forever. Nothing else needed. The cross was payment for our rescue. The resurrection was the receipt. Church, the empty tomb that we celebrate today, it proved, it proved that Christ's work on the cross on our behalf was fully and forever accepted by the Father. That's what it proved. Christ's cross was the last sacrifice for man. Christ's cross was the last sacrifice for man. Christ's resurrection was the start of new life in man. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that. The Apostle Paul there says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you've, you've come to Him, you've committed your life to Him, you've given yourself to Him, and you stand now in Him, one with Him. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, look, the new has come. It's, it's here presently with you. And that's true for anybody that comes to Christ. It doesn't matter what baggage you've carried with you all through your life up to the point of coming to Christ. He's not going to look at you and say, oh, wow, you're, that's too much. Sorry. I meant everyone except you. I, I meant I would take care of every sin except that. No, not at all. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Isn't that good news? That it doesn't matter what has defined your life, what has written your story up to the point of coming to Christ, that in Him, in the resurrection, and because of that, you have the chance to have a completely rewritten story? Isn't that awesome? That's the hope of Easter. That's the reality of resurrection. See, Christ's resurrection gives the Christian hope for the nasty here and now, and for the sweet by and by. 
That's what Christ's resurrection gives us hope for. We, we live in the dual reality of the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. And that's all tied to Christ's resurrection. Here's, here's something else I want to point your, uh, point your attention to uh, as it relates to this, this now and not yet concept that we live in. Once we come to Christ... Uh, we live in, in the here and now, still in this life and in this world, but changed, made new, made a new creation. We just read that, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we also live in anticipation of the not yet, this great, glorious future reality. And both are tied to the resurrection event, the resurrection reality of our, of our Savior. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living, that's now active, present reality, into a living hope. And hope means, hope means profound certainty. Profound certainty. Absolute, concrete certainty and reality. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope, Christian, is is to be found in nothing else. Nothing else but Jesus. Him crucified, Him risen, and Him coming again. That's where our hope comes from. Nothing else. No other circumstance. No other event, no person, no other message. That's it. That's where it's found. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, that's the not yet, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And there, there's our hope for the future. That's, that's our future reality. See, we've, we've got this amazing, amazing dual reality as Christians. If you're here today, and at any point in your life, you've given your life, your whole self, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. Then you've got hope in the, the here and the now, the nasty, hard, difficult now. And hope for that sweet by and by, that future glory. It's that now and not yet. That's, that's the way we live. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian, to live in that, that dual reality. But that dual reality is filled with hope. So either way, you win. It's a win-win if you're in Christ. That doesn't mean life is easy. That doesn't mean that you're going to be just immune to anything difficult happening. We know that's not true. Look, at, look back at this last year. That's not true. That was never promised. But what it means is that you go, as you go through the life in the here and now, you have an anchor of hope. That no matter what tidal waves of, of terror and disappointment come at you, it won't shake you. It won't throw you. Because your hope is tied to the reality of the resurrection of our Savior. And when this life is over, you step into an eternal reality. And you have hope for that in the here and the now. So you, you can't lose. <laughs> in Christ, 
And because of his resurrection, you cannot lose, Christian. You cannot lose. And the opposite, the opposite is true. If you are not in Christ, if he's not your Savior and your Lord, then no matter what you look to for hope and for purpose, no matter what you cling to, will not hold you up. No matter how strong it may seem, no matter how capable of supporting all the weight of your hope and trust and faith it might appear to be, it is not going to be. Only in Christ can you find the source of hope that will never disappoint you. And it's all because He rose from the dead. Colossians 3, 1-4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, which every Christian, every true Christian has been. If you're in Christ, then you identify not just with His death, but with His resurrection. And if you're in Christ, the Bible clearly tells us that God raises you up with Christ. So that's true of every Christian. And Paul is saying, I'm assuming... You know, if you're getting this letter, you're part of the church. That means this is true of you. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See, he's not in the grave. Paul didn't say, I want you to go to where Christ's grave is, where he rests, where we know he is, and and just think about his life and commemorate his sacrifice. No, that's not what he said. He said, set your mind on things that are above. In other words, in the heavens where Christ is. That's where He is. That's where Jesus is. He's alive and well and reigning in the glory of heaven. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, He says. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. That's the you you used to be. The you you used to be before you came to Christ. You died. The old you died. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17 we just looked at a few minutes ago? If anyone's in Christ, he's a what? You tell me, a what? New creation. The old has passed away. The old is dead. See, you've died, he says. And your life, the life you live now, the the actual literal life you live, is hidden with Christ in God. That tells us something else. That says that, that relationship with the risen Christ gives you a completely new identity. It doesn't matter what you used to be, who you used to be, what you used to, to do. In Christ, you have a whole new identity. A whole new identity. And verse 4 wraps this all up and he says this, when Christ, who is your life, your life is no longer who you used to be outside of Him. In Christ, your life is, is all new now and it's tied to Him directly. It's secure in Him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, everybody should hear this. Everybody listen to this then you also will appear with Him in glory. Wow! That 
is completely a game changer, isn't it? That, that just as the cross was not the final word for Jesus, death was not it, that wasn't the period of his story, that in him, through him, because of him, death will not be your final word or the period of your story either. That when Christ, who is your life, appears, and He will appear, He will come back. And when He does, if you're in Him, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Undeserved. Unearned. And only possible because of Christ's resurrection. And that, my friends, that deserves our total devotion in response. That means no area of our life is able to be held on by us tightly where we say to our Savior, you can have everything else but not this. This is mine. No, that mean, it means in response to all that He has made true of us and for us, it means nothing in our lives is really our own anymore. It all belongs to Him in response. Let's pray. And before I actually close us and lead us in prayer, uh, I cannot end having said all of that and drawn your attention to all that is the reality for us because of Christ and His resurrection, I cannot just end without posing a question to you. And it's actually a very simple question, but with a profound implication. Here's the question. What have you done with this? That's the question. What have you done with all of this? Everything that you just sat here and heard. Everything that the Scripture just revealed and reminded you of. It doesn't matter if this was the first time you heard these things or the thousandth time you heard these things. The question is the same. What have you personally done with all of that? What have you done with the resurrection of our Savior? Have you put all the eggs of your life of your faith into that one basket? Have you put all of yourself, all you're hoping for, all you're resting on, all you're believing in, all you're trusting in, is it all resting in and on the resurrection of our Savior, the resurrected Lord? Or are you looking to other sources? Have you been chasing other things to try to fill you up? to try to give your life meaning, to try to give your life purpose. Well, the reality is, no matter what you look for or look toward, if it's not Jesus Christ, if it's not the awesome reality of His resurrection, then it's not going to be enough. And today can be the day of new life for you. What an amazing day to start your Christian life, but on the day of resurrection. There's no greater time 
to be personally raised to new life in Christ than on the day we celebrate His resurrection. And if I described you that you what you've done with the resurrection, the answer to that question is nothing, then that can change right now. By you saying with all of your heart, from your heart, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you really came to this earth. You really did. You really lived. I believe you really did go to the cross. I believe that when you went to the cross, you took my sin with you. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you did not stay dead. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe the cross wasn't the end of your story. I believe that the resurrection proves that. And I believe that it doesn't have to be the end of the story for me. That death doesn't have to be the end of my story. That in you, I can live again. And I'm giving you my life now. I'm giving my life to you because I want to really live in the here and now and I want to live forever after this life is over. If you say anything like that from a heart that really does believe, the Bible's very clear. Romans 10.9 says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, is who He says He is, and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's just a matter of believing it in the heart with all of your heart and confessing that to Him in all sincerity. And the Bible says, and I am personal evidence of it being true, that you are instantly and eternally made a new creation. That's the Gospel. Father, thank You so much for the awesome reality of resurrection. Thank you that the cross was not the end of the story for our Savior. It was, it was so important. Without the cross, we would have no payment for our sin. But without the resurrection, without the empty tomb, that payment would not have been accepted. Thank you so much that the, the door to our salvation so clearly hinges on both. And both are able, more than able, to hold up that weight. Thank you so much for the cross and for the resurrection. Thank you for the payment for our sins. And thank you for accepting that payment. Thank you for giving your son's life to give us life. And then through the resurrection, providing that life forever. I pray that if there's anyone here that has not given their lives fully to the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation, of their new life. And thank you for all of us who you led by your Spirit to surrender our lives to Him. Thank you that we have been able to experience that new life each and every day. And thank you that we will forever, all because of Jesus. And it's in His great name that I pray. Amen.